check, check. Hey, good morning. Thank you all for letting me be here. I appreciate it. I have to put in a plug for that is Genesis history. If you've not seen that, you really want to be here. That is, in my humble opinion, the best video that has been made on this topic. It really is. And I've been around for a long time. I've seen, you name it, I've probably seen it if it's produced by any of the AIG, CMI, you know, any of those guys. I've probably seen it, and this one blows them all out of the water. And I'm not trying to be mean to anybody. This is just head and shoulders above the rest. So if you've not seen it, definitely be here. It's, uh, it's good stuff. Uh, I wish I could have recorded this. My ADD, hello, king of ADD right here. As, uh, as a worship pastor was talking before the very first song this morning, he made some points that really just hit me in my head, and I can't re- give them back to you now, but the thing that he hit me with is that he was talking about the definition for the word conversation. And so I pulled it up. Anybody ever use the 1828 uh, dictionary? You need it. Okay. You can go on uh, the website, you know, go on Google, do another search for 1828. 1828 dictionary will pop up, go there, or you can download the app. Just search for 1828 dictionary. Duh. And uh, when you do that search, it will pop up. Get the free one. Don't buy it. But this is the definition for conversation in an 1828 dictionary. And it was exactly what he was talking about, what the first song was talking about. What is conversation? What's the meaning? Uh, general course of manners, behavior, deportment, especially as it respects morals. Then they, they quote scripture. Let your conversation be as becometh the gospel, Philippians 127. Number two. A keeping company, familiar intercourse, intimate fellowship or association, commerce, uh, commerce and social life, knowledge of men and manners is best acquired by conversation with the best company. Three, intimate and familiar acquaintance as a conversation with books or other objects. Four, familiar discourse, general intercourse of sentiments, chat, unrestrained, talked, opposed to a formal conference. Conversation is not just the words coming out of our mouths, guys. It's everything. It's the way that we live our lives. It's the way that we act. It's very powerful. And so when, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I'm terrible with names, but when uh, a worship pastor was talking, I was like, gosh, that's describing conversation. And that's what we need, body of Christ, is our conversation needs to be pleasing to the Lord and shining to the lost. So thank you for letting me come back. Um, even the song selection today was really good. The, the second to last song there that's the name of our ministry, Reasons for Hope. There's lots of reasons for hope, but there's only one that will never leave you and forsake you. That's why you'll always see an asterisk after our name because it leads to the answer, and his name is Jesus. And so everything else you can put your faith and hope in, it will let you down, I guarantee it. But Jesus will never let you down. He'll never leave you, forsake you. So hang on to that. And then, then even the last song, uh, Indescribable, I had the privilege of being on a TV show, and the guy who wrote that song, created that song, he was on there, so I got to listen to the guy who wrote it and created it, sing it, uh, sing it live. Uh, interesting guy, but uh, the song was really good. You don't care about any of that. I'm looking at you. You went, Carl, we came to hear something else, okay? All right, all right, here we go. Um, Genesis doesn't matter. I mean, come on. Oh, we're going to debunk that claim, because I'm going to put it to you right from the very beginning. Genesis absolutely does matter. And I am so encouraged that you guys would show is Genesis history and take this to a step further because if we lose this authority that we have here with the book of Genesis, you might as well give it up and go home because we've got nothing. It's that important. Psalm 11.3, hold up, Carl. We're talking about Genesis and you're going to start off in Psalm 11.3? Yes, I am. Because it says this, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? In righteous, the first thing we have to do is wake up and realize there's a battle going on. And there's not a person sitting in this room that doesn't know that. I mean, you can't turn on TV and not understand that there is a battle going on. But what is the ultimate battle? The ultimate battle is where I believe it comes back to Scripture. Because if I can get a generation to doubt Scripture, I own them. Because now it becomes, what do you think, what do you think, what do you think? One of the talks that we've done on this trip that I'm out here is dealing with what is truth. 
You got your truth. I got my truth. We all got our own truth. How can, how can you jam your truth down my throat, right? This is what the world is doing to us. And why can they do that? Because they've destroyed the foundation. And if we lose our absolute authority, what is truth? It's happened. America, the most quote-unquote Christian nation on the planet, over 400,000 churches, more Christian shirts, Christian shoes, Christian wristbands, you name it, we got it, it's Christian. Turn on the TV if you dare. Something's not right. Every 45 minutes, 60 children will attempt suicide. This is America. Almost 80 will run away, 21 teenagers have an abortion, and over 1,000 teens will take some form of drug. Hmm. I uh, misspelled there. My mistake. Not till. Will. America, the most Christian, quote-unquote, nation on the planet, something's not right. I mean, you tell me, is America becoming more or less Christian every day? It's okay. I know I'm throwing a kink in the works here, but I'm a little bit different, all right? You can talk back to me. I know, you know. I know the rest of the time we have to sit and stare. No, you can talk back to me. It's okay. Is America becoming more or less Christian? This is how confident I am in my answer. It's pre-programmed in. I can't change it. If you guys had said more, I'd have been hanging up here, ooh, we're skipping the next slide. I never have to skip the next slide because we know there's a battle going on. We are becoming less Christian. How do we get to this point? How did, how did this happen? I'm going to use a source that most of you are going to be like, what is this guy? Pastor, what are you letting this guy in here for? He's going to use this kind of a source to make a point? Yes, I am. Because in full disclosure, I will say this, I am going after younger generation, and younger generation thinks different. So I use illustrations. I won't compromise the Word of God, but you better believe the way that I'll deliver something, I will try to find a way to get them to think, step on their toe a little bit, push them a little bit. I think it's like a boxing match, right? Stick and move, stick and move. This generation thinks they know what Christians are because they've seen us on Family Guy, Simpsons, Desperate Housewives, Law and Order, right? Yeah. And we, we don't look so good. So I try to do stuff that's going to break that stereotype that they think that they have. So here's my source to understanding, and this is uh, you note takers. I'm opening this so I make sure that I cover every one of these points because I get ADD and ramble all over the place. No, I've got my points here. This first one, I'm going to take you to a very unlikely source. It's called The Fifth Wave. Anybody ever see this movie, science fiction movie? Yeah, the two people. It was obviously very popular in the culture. <laughs> now, I've got to give you a little background because 99.9% .9 of you have not seen it this morning. It's a sci-fi movie, and supposedly, supposedly what has happened is that some aliens... Oh, come on, I like sci-fi. Aliens have come down and taken over a certain portion of the human race. And it's this alien that lives on the brain. It implants itself on the brains of people. So the people look like they're still people. You can't tell that they're aliens anymore. And so there's this battle between the people who aren't aliens and the people who are aliens. In the end, though, they're not even really... But that's another story. But anyway, here's my point. You've got this young lady who has lost her brother, and she is in the search to go find her brother. And so she's having to trek through the woods and hide from these people that are hunting her because she's human and they're, you know, whatever. But she makes a point. And I, I, I was blown out of the water when I th saw this. Why would I go watch this? Because back then the young people were watching it and I was using it in the camps to get them to think. But I saw this and I, I thought it was amazing. She wrote this in her diary. How do you rid the earth of humans? If we were to have a type of presentation that I like to do, get dialogues and back and forth, I would ask you, what do you think the answer is? Because her answer was money. How do you rid the earth of humans? You rid the humans of their humanity. Because you see, once our humanity is gone, what's going to happen? But you know, I took it a step further when I saw that. How do you rid humans of their humanity? That's where my mind went. You've identified the problem, but how do we accomplish it? 
And here's my humble suggestion to you. This was not in the movie. This is what came to me. You rid them of their history. Why is this book on fr- or this movie on Friday so important? Is Genesis history? Because if you rid humanity of their history that they were created in the image of God, that they are fearfully, wonderfully made, you will rid them of their humanity. And I think we're living in that time right now. How can we see the ugly, nasty things that we see going on? People against people. Just ugly things going on. Because once I dehumanize you, I can get away with almost anything. What tool has been used almost every time? Let's go back to the slave issue. They're not humans. They only count for one-fifth of a vote or something along that lines, right? Once you dehumanize something, you can get away with anything. How do we do that to the unborn child? It's not human. It's flesh. Or it's going through a pig stage. It's going through a fish stage. It has gill slits. Once you dehumanize something, you have removed their history and all bets are off. Genesis 1.26 says this, and God said, by the way, that little simple two-word phrase we need to hang on to, Jesus Christ himself used that simple phrase 25 times. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. You want value and worth? This is one of the messages that I tried to communicate to the high school kids that I spoke to this week. And I thank you to Apologetics Forum for doing all the hard work. They do the heavy lifting. I come out here, they just point me in the direction to go. They, open, they get the doors open, I go in, and I praise God that they do this. You should support them. This is an important ministry. Two schools this week, we spoke to well over, I'd say a minimum, being conservative. I won't use evangelical numbers, conservative numbers. It'd have to be about 300 kids that we had the privilege and opportunity of sharing with this week. And one of the messages was, your value is not based on what the world is telling you. Because the world's telling you your value is based on how pretty, how smart, how talented. No, your value is based in this. God created you in his image. And even when we were rejecting that and saying no thank you to that and spitting on him, which we do when we sin, he loved us enough that he came and he died for us. That history is vitally important. And it's a part of what gives us our humanity. You see, Genesis 3 then goes on to say, and he said, I just think this is important. And he said unto the woman, did God really say that? Yea, hath God said. This is the key to understanding how you can get to where we are right now. The minute I can get you to doubt the very first chapter of the first book, when do you quit doubting? I mean, seriously, when, when do we quit doubting? And this is why I believe Satan has gone after this so much. Does Genesis matter? You better believe it matters. Because the minute I can get you to doubt the very first chapter, when do we quit? John 3.16? How can I trust John 3.16? People tell me all the time, give them the book of John. We need to give people the book of John. Why? Because the book of John makes no sense unless the history in Genesis is true. If I remove that history, John is nothing. You think I'm trying to be flippant on the word? I'm not. But I understand where the attack is. If you want to rid humans of their humanity, rid them of their history, and our history begins in Genesis. So God, verse 127, created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There you go. There's our value. There's our worth. The creator of the universe made us in his image. You see, I I, I tell you that the Bible is vitally important as a whole. But in order to trust the rest of it, you really have to trust Genesis. And this is why Satan has been so smart. Let me attack the foundations. And you know how you attack it? It's not that complex. I know how to attack it. Why would a loving God allow death and suffering? What about carbon dating? What about continental drift? What about light from the further star? What about aliens? What about UFOs? What about a global flood? Where'd the water come from? Where'd the water go to? How'd you get two of every seven of some? Ten billion species of animals on a wooden boat. Right? You hearing me? You don't think those questions are important? I can tell you this right now. Day one, I hand out index cards to the youth when we do the camp ministry. We hand out index cards. Write down the questions that are keeping you from selling out for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think that they do that? Do you think that this younger generation has questions? Remember, it's okay to talk back to me. Do you think they have questions? 
Would you like to see the stack of cards that I have accumulated over just the last two years? Guys, I can show them to you. It's a stack. This generation is hungry for something that makes sense. They are asking questions. Unfortunately, many times we're not giving them answers or the answers we give them are not that good because we have abandoned the authority of God's word as well and we try to use man's wisdom. We approach it with a God, I know what you wrote, but let me tell you what you meant. Yeah, God, I know you said you created in six days and rested one, but God, you don't quite understand science because you see science is proven. Earth is millions of years old. So the, those days in Genesis, God, they weren't real days. They were long periods of time. Or you got a gap in between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. God, we know what you wrote, but let us tell you what you meant. Uh, uh, God, God, I know you said you created one man and one woman, so therefore there's one race, the human race, and, you know, I, I understand that. But you, you just don't quite understand science because, you see, science has proven that you got these ape-like ancestors in Africa that evolved into the black folks. And then some of those black folks, they ate fish, and that spurred brain development. And some of them got smart, and then some of those smart black folk moved north to turn white. And that's how we got all the different races. So, God, I know what you wrote, but let me tell you what you meant. Hello? You think I'm joking? I am not joking. I will show you the video. that, that We wonder why we have the problems that we have with racism in our country? When you have a generation that has been force-fed that, and they think it's true... And then, worse, they try to take that and say, well, God, this is the mechanism that he used to get to where we are. We then make God responsible for that. No, man is created in his image. And I don't care what we look like on the outside. Each and every one of us are related. We go back to one man and one woman. But if you lose that history, you will lose your hum humanity. And that's why I think it's so important, Psalm 11:3. if the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Recognize that the foundation is under attack. And it goes back. I mean, look at Judges 21, 25. Uh, these, I believe we're living in the same times where we, we read this. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. How do we overcome that? This is negative. Oh, come on, Carl. It's negative. We came here to church. Rah, rah. Cheer us up. Proverbs 3, 5 to 7. Trust in the Lord with, help me with that word. What? thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding that bottom line be not wise in thine own eyes fear the lord and depart from evil why would he tell us to do that because he knows how weak we are he knows how easily manipulated we are and he knows how successful satan is at taking things that aren't good and making them look good that's what we've dealt with a lot over this last uh, four days that I've been here, especially with the younger generation. Why? Because for, uh, Proverbs 14, 12 warns us, there is a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof leads to death. How do we overcome this? Can I show you how not to overcome it first? Would that be okay? That was not very good. Can I show you how not to overcome it? Okay, thank you. I'm going to do it anyway, so you might as well play along, right? It's one Sunday. You can put up with me for one Sunday. This is different. I admit it in advance, but I saw it and I thought, this is too good not to use. Eric, do you like your Sunday school class? Do I like my Sunday school class? Absolutely. I feel like it's a perfect fit for who I am and where I'm at with God. I feel like I can really excel in this group. I tried other classes at church, but I don't know, they just weren't really for me. It's, it's hard to get out of bed and drive all the way down to church if you're not getting anything out of the class in the first place. But this one, it just really gels with my personal learning style. I feel like Mrs. Evans gets it, you know, she really understands how to teach to me. And I think she's pretty impressed with my Bible knowledge too. You can tell me who built the ark. Noah? Was it Noah? Yes, it was Noah. <laughs> I knew it. Where were you guys at? I know what people say, but no, it's not just the snacks and songs that make it a better Sunday school class. I just, I, I feel like I really connect with the other students here, too. So who do you like better, Spider-Man or Batman? Spider-Man.
I just got the new Spider-Man shoes the other day. They're really fast. And Mrs. Evans, she just makes the word come alive with all those big pictures and take-home papers. and She just really brings it down to my level. Jesus! It was Jesus. Jesus said that. <laughs> yes! Oh, yeah. Of course Sunday school is important. I, as long as it's not too difficult and you feel comfortable in it. I mean, I've been in Mrs. Evans' Sunday school class 15 years now. I'm not going anywhere. Yo, teach! I get another one of these? That is not how we overcome it. And unfortunately, I see too much of that. So how do we overcome it? I think we start teaching a generation how to think and not what to think. How to apply the Word of God in a world gone crazy. Because let's be honest, the world's gone crazy. So how do we take what God has given to us in His Word? He addresses these things. He does. And how do we embolden them enough to be willing to stand up even though they know that somebody is going to mock and ridicule them? It's a challenge. We have to go for it, though. Because I want, first of all, what I try to do, we call this the poison capsule, all right, when we work with youth, the poison capsule. How do I inoculate somebody? And I know we just went through COVID and Carl, now you're anti-vax, you're vax. No, 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 I'm not dealing with that. But how do you keep somebody from getting polio? You give them some of the dead virus. Why? Their body identifies the virus, starts fighting against the virus, learns how to fight against the dead virus, it doesn't give them polio. Then when their body is exposed to the real living virus, what happens? Their body knows how to fight against it, okay? That's why I do what I do with, let's watch Richard Dawkins. Let's listen to Lawrence Krauss. Let's take what the world is throwing at them, not sugarcoat it, not, not, not cherry pick a quote out of context, Let's take it and break it down and expose them so that they, when they see it in the future, in a different setting, it's not so overwhelming. Because it is going to be overwhelming, especially, and I'm not attacking, I just, here is what I'm seeing, here's what I'm observing after 235 days on the road last year. We have a government school system that knows how to destroy faith. And one of the big things that I saw uh, was something called big history. Have you guys ever heard of big history? Big history is a curriculum that the schools are using as well as many homeschool parents that aren't Christian. Uh, it's, a, it's well, well done. And I want you to hear the impact that big history is having on some young people. This is an APR interview, right? Not a Christian interview. This is APR radio. I don't even know what it stands for, but I know it's not Christian. Okay, here we go. Timothy Frey and Kamal Shah say it's unlike any history class they've ever taken. Change is my way of how I think of humanity. <laughs> like, I used to just think that, oh, we were the top species, but really, we're not. Does a belief about the origins of human beings impact our lives, and if so, how? Turn on the news. It keeps going. I took AP World History, and we learned like a lot of facts, like every little detail, but none of it actually connected. Like in this class, everything connects. Like we connected like the Opium Wars all the way back to the Big Bang, and I thought that was really interesting because it actually made sense. If you want to rid humans of their humanity, remove them of their history. One last. It made me think a lot more about just the whole universe itself because it all started from the Big Bang, of course. And when you think about it, he was saying that it'll all come to an end soon. So when you really think about it, what are we doing here? It just makes you think that uh, really everything will be meaningless soon. Does a belief about the origins of humans, being human beings, impact our lives? And if so, how? If you're created in the image of God, you have hope. If we are here because of a big bang, it's all meaningless. Guys, it's a tool that's being used to just destroy a generation from believing the word of God, his truth. You see, 
I know what some of you are thinking, though, because uh, the big question will come up, well, if you believe in a God that created everything, all right, then who created your God? Has anybody ever been challenged with that one before? Anybody? I see, like, four heads nodding and one hand. Okay, so, well, if you go out and you deal with the college age, I will guarantee you right now, the minute you start talking about a God that created everything, and the top five questions you will get, well, if God created everything, then who created God? Richard Dawkins wrote an entire book on it. It's called The God Delusion. Ever hear of that book? Yeah, million, million, million seller. And that was the whole premise, a book this thick, one question. If God created everything, then who created God? A lot of people love that argument. So can I give a response to that? Because it's in your sheet here. Uh, what is the answer? Can I give you the answer so that if you're the note taker, you can fill it in? Is that okay? Well, this is going to be a little bit different because mature generation, I'm now going to ask you to show me some grace. We do a series of videos called Debunked, and they are geared for the younger generation with the 2.2 second attention span, okay? They think different. That's just reality. So I'm going after them. Show me some grace. We're going to address this claim that somebody made God. And you can glean some notes from it. It's not that complex. Yes, it will be quick, but that's okay. You can still glean. You know, people misunderstand all kinds of things about the nature of God, which leads them to say interesting things like, if everything that begins needs a beginner, then so does God. Or, hey man, if every effect has to have a cause, then God has to have a cause. Or even, if God created everything, then something or someone had to create God. There it is, a boom, mic drop. No mic drop. Pick it up because those statements don't merit such a thing. And here's why. Basically, we got three French hens. Two hurl above the far ridge as a tear free. What? Yep. Shooting them down nice and easy. One ultimate statement kind of spun us three. Bumbled briefly by Bub because brevity bespeaks benevolence benefiting belabored beholders. And pull. Statement et un. As no one from France would say, but I ain't French. If everything that begins needs a beginner, then so does God. And that would be a great point if God began. But the statement says everything that begins needs a beginner, not that everything needs a beginner. God didn't have a beginning, so he doesn't need a beginner. He is, as the Bible declares, eternal and everlasting. On to el statementavo de doso, which probably doesn't mean what I think it should. If every effect has a cause, then God has to have a cause. Well, again, that would be a good point if God was the effect of something, but he wasn't, because nothing caused God. He's the uncaused cause who causes all other causes. This means he's the only necessary, uncreated anything. All other things are created and contingent, therefore in need of said cause. And so we're here at La Statementanto de Finale. As once spoken by nobody from Italy or anywhere else, I imagine. If God created everything, then somebody or something had to create God. Well, that doesn't really follow because, again, God is eternal and unmade. Sorry to be repetitive, but nobody or no thing created God. And he certainly didn't create himself because that would be, well, absurd. He is the one who created all things. Colossians 1.16 puts it this way. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And we all actually know this just by looking around at things. That's why Romans 1.19 and 20 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. This means if you pondered the world and the universe, you'd come to the common sense conclusion, at least at minimum, an immaterial, powerful, personal, intelligence, spaceless, and timeless being created the universe. Whoa, now hold on a cotton picking minute. Why would I come to that conclusion, you might ask with fervor? Well, because we know the universe began to exist and that means it had a cause. So then, what caused it? Well, you got three choices, really. You got nothing, you got an abstract, or you got a being with the aforementioned qualities. Unprovable multiverses or crystals on the backs of turtles won't do. Now, it seems to me that Billy Preston dismantles the first option when he's saying, nothing from nothing, leave nothing. Yeah, no, don't quit the day job, but what he spins is true, my brothers and sisters. You get nada from nothing because nothing is, as Aristotle asserted, the thing rocks dream of. Mm. So what about an abstract something? Say like the number four. Well, last I checked, the number four can't talk, can't eat, can't think, can't 
can't do much of anything. So that leaves us with the being with the same characteristics described in the Bible that we'd expect if we never read the Bible, and that being is God, the creator and sustainer of the universe. He was not made, he was not caused, he was not created. He had no beginning, he had no end, he had no superior, he has no equal, he has no boundaries, he has no limits, he has no weakness, he's infinite, he's eternal, he's all-powerful, he's the Alpha and Omega, he's all-knowing, he's spaceless, he's timeless, he's spirit, and unlike Visa, he's everywhere, period. Might be nice to drop that mic now. And there it is. This unfounded claim that God needs a beginner or a cause or that somebody made God has been, as it were, hitherto and a henceforth, uh, a debunked adios. So you were able to take a lot of notes on that, right? <laughs> way too quick, way too much information. Intentionally so, because again, I'm trying to bust a stereotype. Christians being boring and slow-witted and all that. Oh, no. So let me ask you a question. Even though it was very quick, was it done well enough that you would watch it again to try to fill in your little section on this? Anybody, would you watch it again to try to get some more information? Okay, good. That's very encouraging, quite frankly. Um, It was done well enough that now you're in a conversation with somebody and they make the statement, well, if God created everything, then who created God? You'd say, hey, I got a short video. Can I show it to you? And you'd be willing to share it to start a conversation. Anybody? Well, that's pretty good, too. If I give it to you for free, would you take it? Anybody? Okay, yeah, free typically is the tipping point. Okay. Uh, How many of you all have a smart device? I'm going to tell you how to get it for free. Smart device? Yes, ma'am, thank you. I saw like five of you, and about 90 of you are lying, because I know you got smart devices. Show me some grace. I know it's Sunday, but take your smart device out. I'm going to show you how to get them. Okay? I know. It's Sunday, Carl. We hide these things. No, it's okay. Have a special dispensation. You're going to go to your messaging software, and on a real phone, it looks like this. You Android folk, I can't help you. I just get a phone, okay? Uh, you hit that, and it takes you to this thing, and it looks like this. It's got a pencil and a paper thing. You hit that pencil and paper thing, and it takes you to where you're going to send a message. Yes, we're sending messages. The recipient is 51555. You're sending a message to 51. Five, five, five. And then in the message body, all it says is adios, and please spell adios correctly. There is no U in adios. It's A-D-I-O-S. And then hit the space bar. Do not spell space. Adios, space bar, Carl. It's that easy. Then you send the message. Now here's the key, though. You're going to get a response back. And don't do that now, but maybe later. Unless you're bored and you want to do it now, then I understand. You hit that link, and it takes you to a form. When you fill that form out and send it in, you become a debunk defender, and I know where to send the free debunks when we release them in the future, and you get them before they are released to the general public. Now, keep your phone out, um, but that's how you get them before we release them to the general public. Totally free. It's not a gimmick, okay? Now... While you've got your phone out, to get the existing ones, all you need to do is go to your app store. And on your app store, simply type in these five letters, R-F-O-R-H. Search for R-F-O-R-H on your app store. And when you hit enter, this blue asterisk on the black background is going to pop up. It's typically the number one searched item, okay? You hit download, and it's absolutely free. No games. And there's hours of content on there. I mean hours of content. I'm not joking. When you go on there and see what's on there, you hit the debunk tab alone. All 23 of the current debunked are on there, 19 episodes of debunk TV, and a couple of other things, hours of content. Well, most of you have done that by now. It's not totally free. There is a cost. You ready for the cost? You're not ready for the cost. Are you ready for the cost? You promise to use them. You promise to share them. You, when you watch something that you like, there's a share button right there. Share, bang, and it'll come up so that you can email it to anybody that you want or whatever, however you want to do it. And you promise to pray for so that we can keep creating this stuff to give it away free. That's the cost. Put it to use, all right? Because you see, guys, we need to deal with these things. And uh, let's see this. I got to make sure I hit something. All right. Because 
if, if, if there is no God that created the way that he said that he did, we've kind of hit this, what is the alternative? Uh, I thought you might like to see this, right? Nothing created everything. Well, that nothing to create something to turn into everything, I think there's a problem with it, but I'd like them to explain how they did it. And this is, this is kind of interesting. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is actually how we got everything. Whoops. I got to escape out of here, skipping stuff. Of time. If God exists, then why did he make ugly people? Yeah, I uh, absolutely use that out of sequence. When I, that's what I get for skipping something. In the beginning, there was nothing. An infinite void. Then, in an instant, everything known to man came into being. The Big Bang. The birth of time itself. Chaos and beauty. A beauty that created infinite galaxies. Galaxies that would one day create the unimaginable. Life. But even more incredible. The human brain. The pinnacle of billions of years of evolution. A brain that possesses the power of reason. And the ability to ponder life's most ancient riddles. Why are we here? Is there intelligent life beyond our galaxy? So there you go. You want to give up on God? There's the alternative. And what are the implications of it? Naturalistic processes, no God, then your value becomes what you have to offer. And quite frankly, we don't have anything to offer that's worth anything other than God. I love this, how the universe works. You need to understand what the alternative is because I don't want to run and hide from this stuff. If you want to walk away from God, I want you to know what you're walking towards. Is Genesis important? Yeah, because this is the alternative. We're lucky that the Milky Way provides the right conditions for us to live. Our destiny is linked to our galaxy and to all galaxies. They made us, they shape us, and our future is in their hands. spiritual moment right now. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. The universe made me and has shaped me and I'm in their hands. And by the way, do you know the implications of that? If the universe made us, I want to take you to a really smart person, right? A really smart person, uh, Michelle Thaler, astronomer. And I want you to hear the implications that if this history is true, because if you think that it doesn't matter, 4.6 billion years ago, one particular cloud begins to collapse under its own gravity, and our sun ignites. Much of the ancient stardust is sucked into the sun, never to be seen again. But the leftovers clump together to form comets, asteroids, planets, and eventually, life. I actually think of myself as a very complicated rock. I am made of things like iron and copper and manganese. When you sit down on a mountainside and you're there with a rock, those are your cousins too. So I'm very sad to tell you that as you drove in this morning, some of you were driving over some of your cousins out there. And I think you should be a little bit more respectful. You see, guys, there are implications to this history. Is Genesis important? You better believe that it is, because if that is not the way that we got here, then this is the alternative. And guys, that's not good, if I may say, humbly to you. We have seen so many bad things happen because of a belief like that. And I just want to show you the implications of it. I, I, you guys remember who Dear, Dear Abby was? Remember Dear Abby? Okay, a lot of you remember Dear Abby. When I was in England, they don't have Dear Abby. They have Ogony Aunt, and I can't do the British accent very well. It's Ogony Aunt, right? And she can feel your pain. And I want you to see the implications of believing that there is no God. 
how it impacts real life. Agony Aunt was on a TV show, and she was asked a simple question about children and suffering and, and how to handle this, right? And please, there is no God. Given enough time, right circumstances, nothing turned into something to turn into everything. This is the foundation. Please listen to the way that she responds. And I think that um, if I were a mother of a, a suffering child, I would be the first to want, I mean, a deeply suffering child, I would be the first to want to put a pillow well, over its face. So what? Do I, what? <laughs> I'm watching this and I'm like, what? I'm in England. And you wonder why England is so messed up. And by the way, go back in history. I spoke in churches over there that were massive. I mean, these were massive churches back in the day. And we're not meeting in here anymore. We were meeting in the foyer because they didn't have enough people to heat and support the church. It's dead. It gets a little better. Um, as I would with a, you know, any suffering thing. And I think the difference is that my uh, uh, feeling of... of Horror, suffering, is much greater than my feeling of uh, getting rid of a couple of cells. I hear some gasping. But don't you understand that if there is no God and we got here from nothing turning into something, a gas doing whatever it did, however it did it, this is the natural implication. You're just a couple of cells, and we wonder what, if you want to rid humans of their humanity... How about replace their history? One last clip. I, I'm sorry, I was just about to introduce another guest there, but that was a, that's a pretty horrifying thing what? to say, that you would put a pillow over... Of course I would, if it was child. a child I really loved who was in agony. I, I think any good mother would. I really pray we don't have any good mothers here this morning <laughs> by this definition. You see, guys... It's vitally important that we have a solid history to start with. I mean, uh, you think about all of the doctrines that we have in the Bible. Where, where did they come from? What is the source for them? I mean, the doctrines are found in Genesis, quite frankly. If you look at the doctrines, they're there. And if you remove Genesis, let's just take one for the sake of time, marriage. What is marriage? Is that something that's uh, being voted on in our culture today? Oh, no, not anymore. It's been voted on and it's decided. And if you have a different opinion, you are the problem. You are the bad person, the unloving, nasty person. And I'm saying no. I think that it's vitally important that we understand that we have to speak the truth in love. And if somebody is doing something that's going to separate them for all eternity from God, we have to point that out because there are consequences to actions. And placating and patting people on the back that are doing something wrong is not the way to do it. We have to speak the truth. What did God say about marriage? It's pretty simple. He gave us an answer when it came to marriage. What did he do? He's questioned about divorce in Matthew 19, and he gave a lesson on marriage. Very interesting. He's asked about divorce, and he gives an answer. What's he say? Have you not read? Remember? Remember. How many times uh, has, has that, was that phrase used in the scripture? Jesus used that phrase seven times. Have you not read? God said 25 times, but have you not read? He used seven times. Uh, by the way, he used another, another phrase, it is written. He used that phrase seven times as well. And by the way, thus saith the Lord, that's another phrase that uh, is used in the scripture 413 times. The implications of that right there tell us what? That the Bible is not a good book. It is God-breathed. It is God-inspired Jesus Christ took it and said, look, it is written. Have you not read? He's questioned. He's pointing to Scripture. He's the one that gave it its authority. What did Jesus think about Genesis? He quoted it as real history. He's questioned about divorce. What did he do? He said that he which made them at the beginning. Now think about that. What did he just do? In Matthew 19, in order to answer divorce, he said he made them at the beginning he made a male and female, and by the way, at the beginning, that means that Adam and Eve were there. So we can't have, well, the days in Genesis, you know, long periods of time, gap in between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. You can't have long periods of time before Adam and Eve came onto the scene. They were there from the beginning, according to the one who did it. And he made a male and female. He just quoted Genesis 
And then he continues on and he says this, and for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they will be one flesh. What did he just do? He just quoted Genesis 2.24. So if Jesus Christ can quote Genesis 1, Genesis 2 as real history, you better believe this poor pea brain right here can do the same thing. What is marriage? Well, depends on your history. According to God, it's between a man and a woman. Oh, Carl, that's hate speech. I'm going to uh, Calgary, Alberta, Canada in the near future. They sent me a form that I had to sign that said, the people that are bringing me up there, if you say anything that gets you in jail up here, we have nothing to do with it. Our hands are clean. I'm like, oh, that's what I want to get before I go speak somewhere. This is what the world is coming to? I say something that you disagree with, so you put me in jail? That's hate speech? That is not hate speech. That is for a lifetime. It's between born-again believers. I'm not attacking you. You're born to, or you're, you're married to a non-believer. You think I'm attacking you? My wife got saved before I did. She lived the life. It's because of her obedience and the Holy Spirit working through her that drew me to him. I'm not attacking you. You see, guys, if we lose that authority, we have nothing. I'll put it to you like this. Would you turn to a seven-year-old child for marital advice? Anybody? <laughs> if you did, this is what you would get. Um, how does a person decide whom to marry? Well, you got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like if you like sports, uh, I should say like. If you like sports, she should like it that you like sports, and she should keep the chips and dip coming. That's not too bad. I could, I, <laughs> I could go for that. How about this one? Um, how can a stranger tell if two people are married? You might have to guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kids. <laughs> Here's a good one. This is, a, yeah, this is real wisdom here. Is it better to be single or married? I think this young lady knows my wife, all right? Uh, it's better for girls to be single but not for boys. Boys need somebody to clean up after them. <laughs> and here it is. Ricky, age seven, the ultimate marital advice. Gentlemen, learn from Ricky, right? You're having some problems. You got great counseling here, but here's some from Ricky. You're going to have to say if this is good, okay? Um, tell your wife she looks pretty. Come on now, is that good? Every once in a while, your wife just needs to know that you still think she's pretty, even if she looks like a truck. I did that in Oklahoma, and this is a true story. I had a big old boy walk up to me, and I mean, he was big. I was like, that's a big boy. He came up to me and said, I don't know about that. My truck looks pretty good. <laughs> I was like, sir, trust me, don't use that line on your wife. Just trust me. Okay. You wouldn't turn to Ricky H7 for marital advice. Why? Because when you compare our wisdom with that, it's not good. Well, guess what? It's not just marriage. Anytime we take our wisdom, man's wisdom, and we try to compare it to God's word, you might as well turn to Ricky for marital advice. Is Genesis important? Does it matter? You better believe that it does because it gives us the foundation from which to deal with the craziness that we see in our culture. And I believe that's why Satan has been so successful because he's got us to abandon it. Now, I know what some of you are saying, but Carl, you just go out and preach creation, creation, creation. That's not my goal. I'm not here to preach creation. I'm here to preach the gospel the way that God revealed himself through his word. How did he reveal himself? He revealed himself as the creator. He revealed himself as the redeemer. He re revealed himself as the sustainer. I understand why I need the redeemer because I understand creation, how it was. It was perfect. We blew it. We destroyed it. So we needed someone to come and redeem us. But without that history, why do I need a redeemer? I understand Jesus revealed himself as the creator, but the redeemer, and now I understand how he is as the sustainer as well. You can go preach creator, 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 and there are millions of people that believe in a creator God, monotheistic religion, and they're going to hell because they didn't receive Jesus Christ. So I'm not here for the creator. I'm here for the Jesus Christ who revealed himself as the creator, redeemer, sustainer. You see, Proverbs 13.22 says this, A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. And I understand the feeling in our world today. Carl, it's too far gone. We cannot reach the masses. We're here in Seattle. This is like way gone, man. You go downtown Seattle, it's crazy. We can't do that. 
It's not your job. You know what your job is? Let me make it simple. You start with yourself. You want to reach masses? You start with yourself. Because the more that we study to show ourselves approved, the more that we get fired up about our faith, the more that we know the word, let me put it to you like this. Anybody in here like garlic other than me? See? Yes, this works all the time. People love garlic. I love garlic. But in full disclosure, you don't like it that I like garlic. Because when I eat garlic, I stink. I, I just do. It oozes out of my pores. I, I can't cover it up. I can put cologne on. I can drink Listerine. I stink. I want to suggest to you, the more fired up about the Lord Jesus Christ that we get, the more the Holy Spirit pours out of us and we can't cover it up. If I can cover it up Monday through Saturday and then come in and do my game on Sunday, I may not have it. And you know what happens when you get fired up? You can't help but reach people around you. And do you know what happens when they get fired up? You see, guys, the key is not trying to reach the masses. The key is starting with yourself, getting fired up about your faith, and growing, and you will impact people around you. And I know this from firsthand experience. My wife got saved before I did. Because of her obedience, I came to the Lord. Our children have come to the Lord. They're married to Christians. Our grandchildren, five of them, are being raised in Christian homes. Every one of those are real faces that are impacted. And I could have filled these in up here, but it got so small I said, forget about it. I could fill every one of those in because of one lady who lived that faith, was obedient, and allowed the Holy Spirit to work through her. Does Genesis matter? You better believe it does, because it's our foundation. And I'll end with this. I thank you for letting me be here, but I think it's time we take this seriously. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, 60 second spot on time. Can I have a clock in the corner? It's there. Thank you. Roll them. Rolling. Action. Okay, here's the deal. We all know that life is busy. There aren't enough hours in the day to do all the things that we want and need to do. In fact, you're probably thinking of all the things you need to do next week right now, wondering how you're going to squeeze it all in. But the fact is, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, no matter how much is on your plate, we all have the same gift of 24 hours each day. It's 24 hours, 1,440 minutes, 86,400 seconds. All the money in the world won't let you buy one single second more than the next guy. And once that second is gone, it's gone forever. Look, there goes one right now. Another one, gone. You'd think that we would judiciously use such a limited and valuable gift. You'd think that we would choose wisely how to spend, no, invest our time. But do we? Really? I mean, after taking the time for eating and sleeping and all the other basic necessities, do we really use this gift the way we should? Think of all the great things you could do in 24 hours, all the lives you could touch, all the significant changes that could be made in your life and others. The fact is, you could actually make a difference in this world in 24 hours, or not. So, how are you investing your time? time?